0: Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. My name is Nancy Beach, and I hate to wait. I hate to wait for anything uh, the grocery store, the DMV, sitting on traffic at the Kennedy. But I recently had a very annoying experience of waiting shock, shock, it was at O'Hare Airport, and I arrived at the airport and was informed just then that we would be delayed. The plane that we were waiting for hadn't come in yet, Um, but even though there was no sign of that plane, I decided to get in line because I wanted to be sure to have room for my overhead bag, and also I thought, you know, standing would be good for me. So I get in this line at an airline that I won't mention. Uh, rhymes with delighted. So anyway, I am um, in lane two, like the first person, and gradually a few other people um, start joining me. But it took an extremely long time for this plane to arrive, and then they got off, and you know, I thought, okay, maybe there's hope here. The gate agent was a very perky young man, and he got on his microphone at one point, and he said, okay, everybody, I need all of you to cooperate, because we are going to do what is called a quick turn. We're going to make up some time that we've lost here, but I need everybody to help to do this quick turn. I really appreciated his enthusiasm. I thought, this is encouraging, this is good. But then the guy disappeared behind that door and closed the door behind him and went, I guess, on the plane. And I'm thinking, well, he'll be back surely very quickly. He's probably just making sure it's clean. I'm not exaggerating to say that 20 minutes later, he had still not reappeared. By now, there's several hundred of us standing there waiting. I wanted to shout out to everyone, what happened to the quick turn? Where's the quick turn? He finally came back, never explained the mystery of his disappearance, and we began to board. I can tell you there was nothing quick about that turn, and if God was trying to teach me patience, I miserably failed. Now, as you've heard, this is the season of Advent. I can't believe it's December 1st already, and for many of us, this is one of the busiest months of our year, so I find it a little bit odd that Advent is essentially a season of waiting. Today we're going to explore together what this all means, but my question for you is, what are you waiting for? What are you holding out hope for? What are you losing patience as you wait? Can we discover something transformative in learning how to wait? We're going to learn about the meaning of Advent, and we're going to see, I think, how we can wait in ways that will magnify the meaning of our Christmas, how we can hold out hope even when it seems really dark. And at the end of our gathering, I'm going to extend to you two invitations, everybody loves an invitation, and give you one assignment. But I want to start with a little history. How many of you um, grew up either in your family or at a church really practicing the Advent deal, like you lit candles and you did the whole thing? How many of you grew up with that? Yeah, not not very many of us. I did not. I did not. So I've been learning about what Advent means. The word is derived from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. And that's a translation from the Greek word parousia. Roman Christians tied Advent to the coming of Christ, but not when he came in a manger. They were referring to his second coming in the clouds when he's going to come and establish his kingdom on earth. It wasn't actually until the Middle Ages that the Advent season was linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. So let's be really clear. There are three comings that we are celebrating at Advent or looking at. The first is Jesus being born in a manger, coming to our planet, born of Mary. The last is his return in glory at the end of time. And then in between, there's the coming of Jesus into our lives today. Now we specifically celebrate Advent for four Sundays beginning on the first Sunday of December. Now you may be familiar with the Advent wreath, maybe you've had one at your home. It usually consists of four candles that are equidistant in a circle of evergreens with a larger white candle in the middle. We light one candle each Sunday. Most often the outer candles are purple, signifying royalty. Um, The red one is joy, which is the last one that we light. The first Advent wreath was created in Germany in 1839. There was a Lutheran (coughs) minister who worked at a mission for children, and he created a wreath out of the wheel of a cart. There are also sometimes little red berries on the wreath. That signifies Christ's suffering and death uh, to come. Now, to fully grasp what this means, we need to step back for a second and look at the big picture. The sweeping story of God and his work in the world is the foundation of everything that we're celebrating this season. The biblical scope of Advent stretches from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last. Advent is about first and last things. So when we look at Genesis, we read about the creation of the cosmos and how God spoke life and light into being. The first humans were very intimate with the God. They dwelled in a beautiful, flourishing garden of freedom and joy. And then the entire Old Testament tells tells the story of the fall of humankind and the history that then led up to Jesus' birth. The prophets foretold of the coming of the Messiah in many, many places in Scripture, the Son of God who would revolutionize history and bring us back to God. As I said there's many predictions about the coming of Christ we're just going to look at one. You don't need to look up this one in your Bible. It'll be up on the screens. But this is found in Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the prophets that tells a lot about the coming Christ. This is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and these words will sound I think very familiar to you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So in our Advent season, we do identify with the Jews, the ancient Jews, and their longing for the Messiah. Isaiah foretold the coming of Jesus some 700 years before he was actually born. So talk about a long wait, right? Jesus came to set the captives free and to bind up the brokenhearted. But the prophets also call ahead to the time when Christ will come again and will establish his kingdom on earth. Now, in this age of Game of Thrones and the Star Wars epic series, the word kingdom sounds magical and mysterious. What do we mean when we use the word kingdom as followers of Jesus? Richard Rohr says we can translate kingdom as the big picture. The kingdom of God is how things truly and fully will be when God makes all things right and new. Now, the Bible has a lot of descriptions of what will be true when that takes place. Often it's called the New Jerusalem, and I do want you to look up this description. It's found in Isaiah also, chapter 65. So pull the Bible from either on your armrest or in front of you or under your seat. Grab one of those Bibles and look on page 610, right kind of in the middle, 610. This is an amazing description and promise of what this future kingdom will be like. Listen to these poetic words. God's talking. He says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. Look at this. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, so no more infant mortality. Or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by God, they and their descendants with them. And then finally he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear who wants to live in that kingdom right now we say come lord jesus come and this sweeping big picture story concludes in the book of revelation in the final two verses of the bible where we read come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with god's people amen this is where our hope lies we long for the coming of Jesus into our world and into our everyday challenges. We believe that Jesus came once to a manger, a totally unexpected arrival in the most humble of settings, but we also long for him to come to us personally, to make a transforming difference, right, in our day-to-day lives. So Advent is always until the end of days. Rohr says, come Lord Jesus, is not a cry of desperation, but an assured shout of cosmic hope. One of the parts of Christmas, <clears throat> excuse me, that I love the most are all the lights. Just love the lights. And on Friday, my daughter Johanna helped me put up the decorations at my house. Actually, she did the work and I cheered her on, uh, including some lights on the stairway and lights on the mantel. Any place I can find lights. When we put up the tree and all is finally ready, we make it dark in the room except for the twinkling lights, and we sit in the warmth and wonder of it. I was reading and thinking about lights uh, the other day when I picked up the Chicago Tribune, and the front page story was about a group of volunteers called My Block, My Hood, My City. They've been putting up lights starting in the Englewood neighborhood, and this year they're gonna light up Martin Luther King Drive on the south side. They want to put lights and decorations on 250 homes and 500 light poles in a neighborhood that could really use some hope. Yeah. And one of the leaders was quoted as saying this, everyone's concerned with employment and crime and all these real life issues and people are waiting for things to change. So we're just trying to spark it, to start it off. And then he said, what better place than Martin Luther King Drive to inspire hope. Isaiah wrote that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And centuries later, John said that in Christ was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. We all know a lot about darkness, don't we? Frederick Buechner says, if darkness is meant to suggest a world where nobody can see very well, either themselves or each other, or where they are heading or even where they are standing at the moment, if darkness is meant to convey a sense of uncertainty, of being lost, of being afraid, if darkness suggests conflict, conflict between races, between nations, between individuals, each pretty much out for themselves when you come right down to it, he says we live in a world that knows much about darkness. Many of you are entering this Advent season in a place that feels a lot more like darkness than light. You're holding on to hope by a shred that maybe Jesus will come into your sadness or your loss or your fear or your pain. And maybe you wonder if light is even possible in the midst of this darkness. It's likely, I think, that so many of us are weary of waiting. Waiting for your prayer to be answered. Waiting to see if God is even hearing you. Waiting for God to show up. So let's talk for just a moment about waiting. When you're waiting for a job offer or a clear diagnosis or for a new relationship or maybe for a long-wanted child or simply for a sense of contentment and peace, it can feel like agony. We are Quickaholics, all of us, we're waiting for the quick turn. We look at standing still as wasting time, don't we? We think of waiting as something that other people should do, but not us. It's so easy to lose hope in the midst of waiting. Well, I'm learning that waiting is not passive. It's actually an active state. The word wait comes from a root word meaning to watch. And there are words connected to waiting and to Advent, They're all incredibly active words, and oddly, they all start with the letter A. Awake, aware, alive, attentive, alert. To wait is to be fully present and to daringly hold out hope in the darkness. We are suspended between the now and the not yet. Young Mary, in the Christmas story, is one of our best teachers for learning how to wait. When the angel delivered a promise to this teenage virgin that she would give birth to the Son of God, she was perplexed, for sure, and very humbled. But she then adopted a posture of openness and offered a courageous yes to whatever God was up to in this world, even though she didn't understand it. Imagine her on the 90-mile donkey ride to Bethlehem, almost nine months pregnant. The phrase, are we there yet, took on deeper meaning. <laughs> How did Mary hold on to hope? How did she and Joseph return again and again to the promise of Emmanuel, God with us? Especially when his arrival turned upside down everything that was expected. I mean, where were the special effects? Where were the creature comforts? Where was the angelic choir singing the heavenly host? I am certain both Mary and Joseph alternated between moments of despair and hope as they wrestled with the reality of her pregnancy. Mary teaches us that waiting precedes celebration and that the deep things of God, hear this now, the deep things of God often don't come quickly. According to writer Sue Monk Kidd, when we are waiting, we are not doing nothing. We are doing the most important something there is. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> we are not doing nothing. We are doing the most important something there is. We're allowing our souls to grow up. And she says, if we can't be still in wait, we can't become who God created us to be. We wait with a sense of promise, trusting in the giver of all good things. That's where our trust lies. So what does this mean for you and me today? as we start Advent of 2019. Well, I want to extend to you two invitations and challenge you with one assignment. Here's the first invitation. I believe God offers you and me the invitation to groan. Now, I think we need to practice groaning. You know what it feels like. I I want your best groan when I count to three. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Oh, you guys are good. We, We know how to groan. That haunting song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel comes from deep longing. Why? Because we see the corruption in our world, the wars and conflicts, the broken relationships, the divisiveness in our politics, the senseless shootings, the hunger and disease and greed, the deadly opioid crisis, the vast increase in the number of suicides, and all we can do is groan. There are also very personal reasons to groan. Maybe there's an empty chair at your holiday table. Or a strained relationship. Or financial issues. You're not sure you're going to make it to pay the bills. Or a health issue. And we cry out with the psalmist, How long, O oh Lord, is it going to be like this? how long we beg for a quick turn. For me, the darkness lately has been centered a lot around what's happening around the globe. And sometimes I just don't even want to watch the news or I want to deny what I'm seeing. But recently I saw a story, maybe you saw it too, that was new to me, like another thing to groan about. But I recently saw this story about a a substance called mica that is used in all of our cell phones. It's used on airplanes and trains. It's used in all kinds of electronic equipment. And the hills of Madagascar are one of the primary places to mine mica. It's not found all over the world, just in a few places. And much of the work in this rural, deserted part of Madagascar is done by families in 14-hour days, including thousands of children starting about the age of four. They crawl down into 50-foot holes in 110-degree heat. They dig and they dig, and then they climb up and they use little rocks to bang away at the sheets of mica. All of this in exchange for one cup of rice a day. These precious children have never gone to school. They don't play. They don't even know what that word means. They don't cuddle with their parents. They are like slaves. And this is not only their present reality, but it's their future unless something changes. And meanwhile, corporations are earning billions of dollars, money that these children will never benefit from. Watching that story makes me groan and weep. And I call out, come Lord Jesus, make things better, make things new, help these little ones. We groan. The writer of Romans describes our groaning. This is from the message version. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy As you survey the global scene, or even our city right here in Chicago, what makes you angry? What makes you want to groan? Advent is a season for us to lament the darkness, (laughs) to cry out for God to intervene, to make things right, to usher in his light, to make things new. So at Advent, we have an invitation to groan, but at the very same time, we are offered the invitation to sing. Our pain can lead us to hope. It's a choice we make, but it can lead us to hope because what else can sustain us when life is hard? We sing because we cling to the promise that just as Jesus came to our planet over 2,000 years ago and lived among us, he promises to come again, to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we celebrate the goodness of God and the hope that in him, ultimately, there can be peace on earth. We celebrate not just the birth of the first Christ child, but the truth that that child grew up to be a man, showed us how to live the best possible way, and then hung on a cross, paying the price for your sin and mine so that we could be brought back to God. That's what we celebrate. And we sing, because one day, one day, all shall be well. One day. A kingdom is coming where there will be no more tears. Mm. No more broken relationships. No more disease. No more pain. No more suffering. And we imagine that kingdom, and we sing. I love all the songs that we sing at Christmas. But probably like many of you, one of my favorites is Silent Night. And I learned a little bit about the writing of that song. Maybe you've heard this story before. But back in 1818, there was a German priest named Joseph Moore, and he pastored a church and flooding had damaged their organ. We don't even have an organ here, but they had an organ, and that's how they did their music. Well, Joseph found a poem that he had written several years before about the birth of Jesus. So he took it to a musician friend of his. I think his name was Patrick. And he asked him (laughs) if he would write a melody for this poem that could be played on a guitar. The carol, titled Silent Night, was sung for the first time that Christmas Eve on a guitar. Fast forward almost a hundred years to 1914, another Christmas Eve in Europe, but this time in the trenches of World War I in northern France. Battalions of British soldiers were engaged in a battle against the Germans. Charles Brewer was only 19 years old. He was a British lieutenant. He was shivering among his fellow soldiers had already been at war for over five months with a million lives taken. Brewer told the story of a remarkable moment. A British guard saw a glistening light up ahead which might have been a trap from the Germans but then he saw a radiant Christmas tree and heard the first faint sound of singing. In German, the song Silent Night. The British soldiers didn't recognize the words but they knew the melody. And when the Germans finished singing, the Brits broke out in applause and then sang it back in English. At dawn on Christmas morning, the amazing moment continued as unarmed German and allied soldiers tentatively emerged from the trenches and cautiously approached one another to exchange gifts and wish one another a Merry Christmas. When we sing Silent Night together this season... Let's remember that story and the promise of heavenly peace, even in the worst of situations. At Advent, you and I can be totally realistic about all that is wrong with the world and still be, still be awake with hope, celebrating the truth that God is the Prince of Peace and the light that breaks through darkness. In a little bit, yes, amen. In just a moment, we're going to light our Advent candle and respond to the invitation to groan and to sing. But first, I promised you also an assignment. Advent calls us to this posture of alertness, to being watchful and ready. We are suspended, aren't we, between that first coming of Jesus in a manger and the future coming of the kingdom when all shall be well. But Jesus still comes in this in-between time. How does he come? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we bring heaven to earth? We can usher in the kingdom. John Ortberg described how in his book, God is Closer Than You Think. He writes, every time you are in conflict with someone and you want to hurt them, or gossip about them, or avoid them, but instead go to them and seek reconciliation and forgiveness, the kingdom is breaking into this world. Every time you have a chunk of money and decide to give sacrificially to somebody who is hungry or homeless or poor, the kingdom is breaking into this world. Every time someone has an addiction and wants to partner with God so much that they're willing to stop hiding, acknowledge the truth and get help from a loving community the kingdom is breaking into this world every time a workaholic parent decides to stop idolizing their job and arranges their life to bring love into the lives of the little children entrusted to them the kingdom is breaking into this world every time you love every time you include someone who's lonely every time you encourage someone who's defeated. Every time you challenge somebody who's wandering off the path, every time you serve the under-resourced, it is a sign that the kingdom is once more breaking into this world. My friends, may Jesus be born again and again and again in us so that we can be agents of hope. Now, some of you are so heartbroken, you're thinking, I don't know that I can be an agent of hope. Well, then it's, you know what? It's your turn to receive hope. Some of you are receivers of the rest of us. You can be heartbroken and still be hopeful. So now it's time to light our Advent candle. Zyla's going to come out and light one of the purple ones for us. And as she does, I want to give you a moment of silence. A moment to look at this light. Go ahead. Look at this light and choose to talk to God in whatever way you need to. For some of you, it will be a groan. Some of you have an, a lament to bring to God, either about something in your personal life or something you see in the world, and you just wanna say, God, do you see this? I wanna trust that you see this, God. And some of you have a song you wanna to bring to God. Don't sing literally just yet. We're gonna do that in a moment. But the, but the song part is a, is a gratitude on this gratitude weekend and some of you just want to say thank you God for the hope you give me thank you for the answers to prayer thank you for the light in the darkness so whatever you need to say to God and if you haven't prayed in a long time it's okay just use your own words and quietly have a moment with him and then we're going to have a chance I will pray and then we're going to have a chance to sing together to be light in the darkness Let's bow our heads for just a moment of silence. Everlasting Father, some of us have brought you a groan. Thank you for the permission to groan. Thank you that you see our tears, but there's nothing difficult that we're going through that you don't know about. God, we come to you and we say, come, Lord Jesus, into our darkness. Please be the light. And some of us are here to thank you, God, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for an answered prayer or a person in our life. We thank you, Father. May we be agents of hope, God, in this dark world, in every way we can, small ways, but in whatever part of this world you have assigned us to, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our families, God, may we be agents of hope, ushering in your kingdom. And finally, God, we look forward to that day when all shall be well. Now we're going to have a chance, Father, to raise an alleluia to you, to sing in the midst of the darkness. We sing together and declare together that you are our hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.